Set apart with KC. Today we're just going to be doing an update of what's been going on since last week when I spoke about uh, watching the Department of Health meeting and and crying in anger because I found out that uh, religious exemptions were going to be moved uh, removed from employees, um, and basically I was going to be out of a job in four weeks along with thousands of healthcare workers. Now. Uh, us healthcare workers have formed together and we are filing multiple lawsuits on multiple fronts. We are not only fighting the removal of the religious exemptions, but we're fighting the mandate altogether. This vaccine does not stop transmission. It does not stop you from getting COVID. So it seems very uh, unscientific to force a mandate on something that doesn't stop people from getting sick. But on top of that, we live in the United States of America and no one should be forced to put something into their body that they don't want to, and they shouldn't be held to not have a job because they choose not to inject something into their body. Just seems pretty basic there. But I want to go over a couple of things first because I think that you should understand exactly what's going on. Now, this Department of Health emergency regulation is not a law. It is not a law. They did not go through the legislative process. They did not go through the House. They did not go through the Senate. They did not go through the Health Committee. It is not a law. Plain and simple. A hospital near me is stating that it's a law. It's not a law. The Department of Health does not make law. Now, on top of that, this emergency regulation is made at a time when we are not in a state of emergency. So why do we have an emergency regulation when we're not in a state of emergency? And if there is a state of emergency, and that's why they're making this, then why hasn't the government declared a state of emergency, the government in New York State? So a little, a little, I did a lot of research a lot of research after I uh, reported my, uh, recorded my podcast last week for you guys. And what I have found is that there is something in the Constitution, in Article 6, Section 2, that is called the Supremacy Clause. And the Supremacy Clause states that, and I'm, this is layman's terms, I'm paraphrasing this, guys, okay, I'm not a lawyer. But it states that um, both the Constitution and federal laws supersede state laws. So, you know, obviously they also supersede public health regulations, emergency public health regulations. So now we know that federal law and the Constitution, Trump, sorry for the play on words there, any of the public health regulations or any state laws that are put forth. So basically, to break this down for you, the state cannot make a law that is is against a federal law. So there is this wonderful, wonderful law called the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And under Title VII, it tells us that you cannot be discriminated against, an employer cannot discriminate against a person based on race, religion, uh, all of those things. You know all of those things, uh, gender, race, all of that. And now that's a federal law. So obviously, that federal law that says that my employer cannot discriminate against me based on a religious um, belief kind of knocks this Department of Health emergency regulation out of the water. But also found in Title VII of the Civil Rights Act is that under Section 102 is that if an employer does knowingly discriminate against me, 
I can be awarded compensatory and punitive damages. So I have informed my employer that I would like them to accept my religious exemption, which I I wrote and I handed in, and that the supremacy clause allows for states that federal law supersedes any state law or this public health regulation. And therefore, if they do not accept my religious exemption and they discriminate against me based on my religious, sincerely held religious beliefs, then they will be held liable for the damages that come from that. And now I know I'm going to sound really excited here and you're going to think I'm a dork, but I was looking into some more stuff tonight and I found this case from 2018 and it's EEOC versus uh, Memorial Healthcare. And basically this case, the employer um, made a medical accommodation for anyone who couldn't medically get the flu shot. But then there was an employee who refused to make, who, re- who wrote a religious exemption to the flu shot, and the employer refused to give her a religious exemption. Now, that obviously was in violation of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. But also, because the employer had made an accommodation for the medical person, for the person who had a medical exemption, they also had to make a reasonable accommodation for the person who had a religious exemption because you can't make it for one, not the other. That's discrimination. So it turns out that Memorial Hospital had to pay $74,000, a little over $74,000, to settle this case. So I, I really think this is an interesting um, case to bring up in this because the Department of Health has allowed for medical exemptions. They have told employers, you're allowed to allow a medical exemption, but you can't allow a religious exemption. So by this case alone, we know that we have a right here of standing. And so hopefully we'll go to court um, within the next week or so, and we'll get what's called a TRO, a temporary restraining order against the Department of Health to stop this regulation. Um, If we don't get that, I believe we will probably um, go into getting an emergency injunction, although I think that'll take a little bit longer. Um, But in the meantime, You've got thousands and thousands of healthcare workers that are going to lose their jobs. And they've gone the last 18 months without a vaccination. And the healthcare system had no issues. Now, this includes me. Like, I'm one of the people who worked through the whole, a healthcare worker who worked through the whole pandemic. We worked the entire time with no vaccines. And yet here we are being told we can no longer work because we don't have that vaccine. And many of us had COVID like me and we have the antibodies. So it's just absolutely ridiculous. Um, But today, apparently, the Department of Health meetings are on Thursdays. Um, So um, yesterday, it's actually yesterday now, it's very early in the morning here. Last night, the Department of Health had a meeting and it actually was actually more about a meeting regarding schools. But at the very end, there, they discussed some things and some administrators and some board members came forward and stated that they are extremely concerned about this policy that we just discussed with removing the religious exemptions, that they have a lot of healthcare workers coming forward and stating that they're not going to get it and they will be fired because they're not going to go against their religious beliefs and they're not okay with this mandate. One of the administrators stated that they had 144 workers that have said, I will not get it under any chance. And so then another person spoke and another person spoke and said, yeah, I've got all these employees 
and they're not going to take it. And what are we going to do? And what are we going to do about this? And how we're going to have a healthcare shortage? And we already have a healthcare shortage. And there's going to be patients that are going to be left without care. And Department of Health, the board, as usual, stated that they were they still believe that you know this should be this mandate, and they agree with the governor for putting it forward. But if it really is that bad, you know they'll reevaluate it in in some time and see how it goes. So let me just break this down for you. What they're stating is that they are hoping that the 20, 30, 40, and as one person stated in this uh, meeting, 50% of healthcare workers who have not gotten the vaccine, they're hoping that in the next couple of weeks, they get closer and closer to that date. The For most people, it's September 27th. For some, it's October 7th. They get closer and closer to that date that they're going to be fired, and they're just going to comply. And that's what the Department of Health is waiting for. But I got to tell you, I'm in a group I'm in multiple groups. <laughs> so, but one of the groups I'm in is is healthcare workers who do not want to be mandated to take this. Now, some of these healthcare workers got the vaccine because that's what they chose, but they're not okay with mandates. And some of these haven't got it and they're not okay with mandates and they don't want to lose their job. Now, this group is nearing 20,000 people and every single person in it states they absolutely will not comply. They will lose their job. And the people that have gotten the vaccine and are seeing the mandates, mandates are saying they will go to their employers and they will tell them to either fire them too or they will resign. Some of them are. And stating, like, we're going to stand with the people because there should be no mandates. Because they're seeing the bigger picture here. These people are seeing that if there's going to be a booster every six months and in six months they decide not to get that booster because maybe they had a really bad reaction to the second COVID shot or maybe they got COVID in between the second COVID shot and the now booster of the third COVID shot. If they if they don't get that third one, they now know that they're not compliant with the mandates and they can get fired too. And what people are realizing is right now they have power in numbers. There is 20, 30, 40,000 people right now that can stand up and say, no, we're not getting it. You cannot mandate us. We will quit our jobs. If they let this dwindle down and you go to three people in one place, they're going to lose their jobs because they don't have enough impact. So it's so important that healthcare workers right now hold the line. Do not comply if that's not what you want to do. If you do not want to get this vaccine, let them fire you. Let them. They're going to be in violation of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, and you are going to have ground to sue them, justifiably. And I have a feeling that there will be a civil there will be a, a civil class action against the Department of Health and each of these employers, and I think rightfully so. So, but anyway, so this Department of Health meeting, obviously, they were worried. They were worried, and I think it's good that they were worried. And let me tell you about a little movement that's going on right now that I'm very excited about, and I hope it continues. Some healthcare workers are taking their shoes and putting them outside the building with a personal note stating, you know, that they were let go or what, how long they've been there or what their position is or any type of personal note. And they're putting their shoes out front of the building on their last day or doing it in protest beforehand. And so the, one of the photos of this happening was... Um, a lot of shoes lined up outside the building of how many people were going to be forced to be fired if they did not comply. And these employees are making the point like, hey, I'm not going to do it. I'm not. So I think this is a good thing. And I, I specifically think this is a good thing because I was made aware this week and I contacted my my senator and my assemblyman about this. But I was aware, made aware that my local hospital... Um, the public's 
the public safety officer had put out a letter. And I'm just going to read you two lines from this letter. Now, it was a very long letter. And the letter is basically discussing what they're going to do if all these unvaccinated staff do walk off. Like, how are they going to manage care? How are they going to choose who gets what's bed? How are they going to triage? Blah, blah, blah. But I want to read you. Here's one of the lines. The unvaccinated and even unvaccinatable have a weaker moral claim to care. Now, this is one of the lines. Unvaccinatable is a person who medically cannot be vaccinated, someone who has an allergic reaction or had a previous anaphylactic reaction, something like that. Now, don't forget, if you had one vaccine and not the other, and because of uh, an, an anaphylactic reaction, you're still considered unvaccinated. So this this statement right here is stating that anyone who does not have the vaccine has a weaker moral claim to care. And then it goes further in the letter and it states, this is a lot, so let me just read this to you. Given the ethical imperative to implement vaccine mandates as a condition of hospital employment, it would be intellectually dishonest not to prioritize the treatment of patients who are willing to meet their healthcare provider halfway and get vaccinated if they are able to. This is true even though the unvaccinated patient may be at a greater risk of morbidity and mortality. What this means is they're stating that because the person who's unvaccinated did not meet their doctor halfway and get vaccinated, that they should not be cared for above and beyond a person who is vaccinated. Now, this is sickening. Um, you have no idea why that person chose not to get vaccinated. You have no idea that that person didn't already have COVID. You have no idea that that person didn't get one and have a, an anaphylactic reaction. You have no idea that that person is is pregnant, um, even though they're not accepting medical exemptions for pregnancy anymore. You have no idea what is going on in the, that person's in cancer treatment. That That's not an accepted medical exemption right now. And yet that could be a very valid reason for a person not to get a vaccine. There are medications that you can't get a vaccine when you're on them. Because like I think Humira was one of them for a long time on their commercials. They would say, if you've been recently vaccinated, let your doctor know because that applies. But I have another question regarding this entire thing with, um, uh, you know, denying people who are unvaccinated because they didn't meet their patient halfway. Um, did the patient that smoked for the last 50 years and now has lung cancer, did they meet their, their doctor halfway and stop smoking? Did they meet their, their doctor halfway and, um, and, uh, did, did people with uh, type two diabetes meet their, their doctor halfway and stop, um, eating sugar and carbs and, 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 and treating and exercising and being healthy? How about alcoholics? Did they meet their doctor halfway and now their liver's in failure? How about the obese? Did they meet their doctor halfway and exercise and try to lose the weight? I mean, what are we talking about here? Are we going to determine people's health care as to how good they've done taking care of their body? Because that's not going to go so well. Isn't the leading cause of death like one of them obesity and heart disease, which comes from eating poorly and not exercising? Are we going to not treat those people anymore and just let them die? Those are the leading causes of death. Um, and I'm just wondering, all of this time where the left has been claiming that healthcare is a right, what happened to that? And what happened to my body, my choice? Do these things only apply when they want them to? Okay, that's a rhetorical question because we all know that's true. 
that um, I hate to say on the left, but you know what I mean when I say on the left. Uh, liberals generally only apply policies to what they want them to. And when it's turned around on them, they do not like it, kind of like cancer cult- uh, cancel culture. Now, another part of this is that um, there's, a, there's a county upstate for me, um, Auburn, New York, but the county um, put out, their health department put out a notification this week and they broke down the numbers of people, cases, hospitalizations, things like that. And this is the first county that I found locally that puts a, breaks down the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. So I'm looking at it. They had 62 cases, new cases as of August 30th. 39 of them were vaccinated, which if you're pretty good at math means that less were vaccinated than unvaccinated. So 39 of the new cases were vaccinated and 23 of them were vac- unvaccinated. So again, more vaccinated have cases than unvaccinated. But I know what you're going to say, and you know what they're going to—they're all going to say—is that well, cases is different. How about hospitalizations? So let's look at the numbers in the same area. And what it is is that six of their hospitalizations are unvaccinated, but five are fully vaccinated. So there's almost no difference. But we're not going to look at this. We're not going to talk about this. Um, and even further into not following the science is how unbelievably frustrating it is that other countries are acknowledging natural immunity while the United States is not even discussing it outside of uh, Rand Paul. Um, I'm wondering if you saw the study this week, and I know there's a lot of people that haven't um, because it's not exactly being put out there. Um, The title of the study was Comparing SARS-CoV-2 Natural Immunity to Vaccine Immunity. The title goes on way longer than that, but you can search it by that. Now, this is a preprint. It's not yet peer-reviewed, and uh, hopefully will be soon, although I'm, I'm finding that studies that go against the narrative are not peer-reviewed as quickly as the ones that um, follow the narrative. Um, but I, I read it, and you know, there's no conflicts in the funding, and the science looks great. And this study found in Israel, it found that natural immunity is far superior, far superior than people who are vaccinated. Now, vaccinated people were 13 times more likely to be infected and 27 times more likely to be symptomatic when they were infected as compared to those who had natural immunity because they already had COVID. So now we've always known that natural immunity is stronger than any other type of immunity. That's why the Department of Health has always accepted titers, which are a blood test to check if you have the antibodies from a previous infection. Now, we've done this for polio. We've done this for MMR. We've done this for chickenpox. We've done this for hepatitis, et cetera. But for some reason, the Department of Health and the government and every other agency is not discussing and will not accept a titer for covid Even though the science out there is repeatedly telling us that the natural immunity is far more protective than getting the vaccine. Now, why aren't they telling us this? Because if you have natural immunity, then you wouldn't go out and get the vaccine. Also, I think there probably is a concern that we would have COVID parties, uh, much like the chicken pox parties back in the day. So... I, I think that they, they want to discourage people from that. But I get it. I'm, I'm glad that I've had COVID. I'm glad that I have the immunity. I'm glad that I don't have to worry about reinfection again. Um, it would be extraordinarily rare for me to get it again. I keep hearing from people. I know people who got it twice. And I, I, have, to, I have to tell you, 
what I start to think about that is every time that I ask them, well, were they symptomatic the first time or the second time or, you know, what happened? And what they tell me is, no, no, one of the times they weren't symptomatic, either the first or the second. So either one of two things are probably happening. Well, one of three things. The first thing is they're reinfected, which is extremely rare but can happen. Generally, a person reinfected has a very, very mild case because the body already has antibodies. The second thing that could be happen is that the person had it the first time and now is retesting and the, the PCR test is still picking up the virus because it can pick up a very small amount depending on how many times it's cycled through. And it's still coming up positive even though it's just the viral load that they got rid of before. And then the third thing that could be happening is that first time they didn't actually have COVID. It was a false positive. And that second time they're actually getting COVID. Now, these are all very real things that could be happening, but no one's discussing them. And again, we're not following the science. So the, this, so as part of this, the CDC director was discussing um, all of this, I think a little over a week and a half ago, but I never saw the video until this week. And I haven't seen it anywhere, actually. I, I found it in one place, and then it's been nowhere else. So I'm not sure anyone, for the most part, is aware of it. So this was, she was discussing that we're going to go down the same path as Israel. And I don't know if you've seen the case numbers in Israel, but it's bad. It's really bad. I just, I encourage you, I don't generally encourage people to use Google, but this is good for this source to go on, go on to Google and enter COVID Israel and look at their numbers, look at their case numbers, look at their death numbers. Right now, 95% of their hospitalizations are in those fully vaccinated. And the director has come right out and said that the vaccinated are getting more serious cases. Now, of course, she blames it on the Delta variant, not on the fact that the vaccine is not working or it has waned so quickly that it basically wasn't worth getting. Because think about it. I mean, we've been giving this vaccine for now nine months, a little over nine months. But the majority of people have gotten it in the last, I would say, seven to nine months because at first it was only available to those that were immune compromised. Now, in that time, the the injury reporting system, VAERS, in the U.S. has tracked over 13,000 deaths, reported deaths, as a result of the COVID vaccine and far more permanent injuries, um, anaphylaxis, permanent um, uh Bell's, uh, sorry, not permanent, Bell's palsy. I, I encourage you to go on openvares.com and check it out. Um, so in that six to nine months that people have been getting this vaccine, the immunity has waned so much so that the majority of cases are in the vaccinated. And we don't, we don't know yet in the U.S. because we haven't been hit yet. But in, in Israel, many of them are being hospitalized, um, 95%. So in that six to nine months, you had at least 13,000 people die. Now, we know it's far more than that because of the Harvard study that tells us that only 1% to 10% of adverse reactions are actually reported. And we know that these things are not being reported correctly. But in that time, that let's say it was just 13,000. How many lives did the COVID vaccine save in the United States in that time? And how many more will die when they get the booster every six months or five to six months, as Biden's saying? And is anyone going to compare these numbers of deaths from adverse reactions or serious reactions from adverse reactions as opposed to deaths from COVID and serious reactions in COVID? 
And I, I really don't think so because they're not even looking at the death numbers. They're not even considering them at all. They're telling people, oh, that's just reported numbers. We're looking into them, but they're not real. But I haven't seen any reports yet of how many of these 13,000 reported deaths were actually from COVID. But if you go on to openvares.com or you go onto the VARES website, you can read each of the reports. And I will tell you, you can tell that they are not fake reports. They are detailed for the most part. They are healthcare professionals that were reporting adverse reactions and death. And we need to take them seriously. And we need to take them seriously because right now, Dr. Fauci is trying to mandate it for all the kids that it's FDA approved for. And we know that that FDA approval is going to go down and down and probably in the next couple of months, it'll be approved for five and up. So all of these children and all of these young adults, 18 to 20, that according to the CDC, have statistically a zero chance of dying, dying from COVID are going to be mandated to get a vaccine that has had many, many incidences of myocarditis and other serious reactions. And I've personally seen reports of death in children. Of course, those aren't being shared on, on, on the mainstream media. But let me, let me explain to you what the CDC is doing right now. Not only are they sick of hearing that it's not serious in children, so they've started publicizing every single serious case in children. Um, and every death in children, but they've put out a notice to all of the United States hospitals this week that we should be prepared, and it's going to happen, that there's going to be um, more cases of what's called AFM this coming fall. And AFM is acute flaccid myelitis. And it's been known to be triggered by the flu vaccine, but good luck finding info on that. But they're putting out to the hospitals like, hey, be ready for this. And I truly believe that they're putting that out there because they're about to mandate this vaccine for younger ages. And we're going to see a heightened amount of cases in AFM as a result of reactions to the COVID vaccine in children who don't need it because they're not dying from it. Now, I, I want to state that any child dying from anything is devastating um, COVID, the flu, leukemia, um, a car accident, whatever it may be, it's absolutely devastating. I cannot imagine. But I also have to be upfront that we didn't see them doing this with the flu. We didn't see them tracking every single number and going on the news and telling people. We didn't see them going out and telling people you have to get the flu vaccine or they're all going to die. Now, there was a push for the flu vaccine, but it was nothing like we're seeing with COVID. And there were far, far more deaths in one flu season of what, six, seven months than there have been in 18 months of COVID. So that really, it really needs to be looked at because I am so sickened by the idea that many children are going to be forced to get this in order to go to school because there are states like New York and California and West Virginia that do not have a religious exemption. So once the Department of Health adds this to the list of mandated vaccines, parents will have to choose between giving this to their child and homeschooling. And much like you're seeing right now with the healthcare workers walking off in a crisis that that's going to come, you're going to see this with schooling because these school, schools, they need the funds and they lose funds when parents pull their kids and homeschool them, even though those parents are still paying taxes like I am. But they're going to lose those funds and they can't afford it. So we're going to see a crisis. 
I know a couple hundred people that have told me flat out, my kid is not getting this vaccine. There are no long-term studies. There is no risk. I'm not doing it. I will pull my child in homeschool. Our homeschooling co-op has grown exponentially. We have to find a new building. That's how much it's grown. But honestly, all of this sickens me. It truly sickens me. And I'm glad to be here to inform you, but it's starting to make me really just a little a little downhearted about it all. But stepping off of, you know, the COVID news for a minute, um, on a more personal note, my family and I are absolutely devastated by what is going on in Afghanistan. Now, this is happening, what's happening in Afghanistan right now is happening exactly where my husband was stationed. The sacrifices that he made, that have so many have made and more, many that didn't return, and the sacrifices that my kids made, missing their father for that year and the times that I held them as they cried themselves to sleep because they only got to talk to him here and there, and the sacrifice that I made, single parenting and missing my husband, it really all seems like it was for nothing. Now, I know that's not true. I know that the men and the women who served over there made a difference. I know that many people loved having the American soldiers over there. Um, but I don't know. It just really, really upsets me to watch. It is absolutely horrific to watch these terrorists with our guns and our equipments and they're torturing the people and they're murdering women and children and the things that they're doing to the Christians and that they're going in the churches and they're torturing them and they're murdering them and it just breaks my heart and it leads me out to pray for these innocent people, to pray for protection, to pray for God to help these people get out of there. Now, I'm grateful that God has opened the door um, for groups like the Nazarene Project to save people while our State Department is doing absolutely nothing. I am livid. Um, not only are they doing nothing, but if you go on and you listen to Glenn Beck speak about this, he talks about how the State Department was prohibiting them from saving these people and bringing them into other countries. And man, I got to tell you, I really, I pray these are end times because... The idea of it getting any worse is scary, especially when you have children who are growing up in these times. And, you know, I think it's so important that we are honest and truthful with our kids about what's going on and that we teach them our values and we teach them our faith so that they can stand strong and be a witness um, in the times that may be to come um, if it is not time for Jesus to come. But Jesus, come, Lord Jesus, come. <laughs> um, I'm ready for it. Now, I just want to make a quick note. Um, I will not be recording my podcast next week as I am unavailable, but I look forward to bringing you the breaking news and exposing the propaganda in just two weeks. I know you'll miss me. Now, in the meantime, I want to encourage you to check out the bmgnetwork.com. If you enjoyed my podcast these last couple of times, or if today's your first time and you enjoyed it, I am certain that you will enjoy the many uplifting and informative um, podcasts and articles that we have loaded on there just for you. And I want you to join me in two weeks on Set Apart with KC, only on the BMG Network.
Set Apart with KC was produced, edited, and recorded in the BNP studio. Music by Kevin McLeod. For more episodes of Set Apart with KC, go to thebmgnetwork.com. Join me next time on Set Apart with KC, only on the BMG Network. <laughs>